team for leading us this, this morning, in spite of injuries. <laughs> Glad you're up there. Thanks for leading us, guys, in worship. Well, this morning we answer the question. It's a question we've asked, I think, once or twice, even in our Philippian series. We answer the question, where do you place your confidence in life? Where do you uh, get your confidence in life? Might be a better way to put it. You know, we live, our culture will tell us many times and has a message, your confidence comes by believing in your what? Self. Yourself. And I want you to think about that question this morning. As, as Paul asks us to ask that question and answers that question for us, what gives you certainty? What gives you confidence in life? A few weeks back, we were uh, visiting, uh, Robin, myself, and our kids visiting my brother-in-law and sister-in-law, that's Robin's sister, at uh, Fort Lewis McCord. They just moved up there. It's a base uh, outside Tacoma. We're glad because we have some family now a couple hours away. And my brother-in-law is a fairly accomplished uh, soldier uh, in the Army. He's been serving for, for years now, really. And at one point, uh, our, our sister-in-law, uh, my wife's sister, was making fun of him for the size of his wallet as it was sitting on the countertop, right? You guys know what, some of you guys know what I'm talking about. Um, you know that problem. Like some of us have, I think I've got some receipts in there from 1992 still. Some of you guys know. Some of your wives are like, yes, I know that issue, right? 17 stamp cards from four different coffee shops, right? We were at the zoo yesterday, and I was pulling out our passes, and, and, and we were in there, and I have a tiny wallet, and she goes, got quite a few cards in there. I'm like, come on. I mean, it's like, it's my wallet. All right. And she kind of let it pass, but, but no cash in there anymore. Did you notice that? That kind of, I think that's all of us. Cards. Well, as my brother-in-law was fumbling through his wallet, and she was kind of laughing, my sister-in-law kind of laughing, and he pulled out this stack of laminated cards. Probably about 20 of them. And he said, well, this is why. And he pulled this, this stack of laminated cards. So I asked him, what, what are those? Why do you have so many? And they weren't credit cards. Well, those are, they're, they're, they're like my credential cards. Uh, I get one every time I take a new course, he said, and, and I finish something and accomplish something. It means I'm certified in something new for the Army. I, they give me a card. So I asked, like, what, you know? He's like, well, like, like tank driving. I'm like, whoa, <laughs> tank, I, you know, certified to drive this certain type of tank. Or, uh, you know, rocket-propelled launchers. I'm like, wow, you know? Uh, or disarming bombs. He says, I'm like, like, really? Like, he said, a stack of cards of these credentials. And I thought, like, what a, a list of accomplishments certified in all these different things, credentials that to put some confidence in as a soldier. That's why they trained him for that. You know, they put, he's got this stack of credentials. I thought I was so great because I was at the Army base and I could do this, which is coming up on the screen there. Not so great. Actually, kind of lame. I know. It actually, it actually was kind of hard, but I had nothing to put a confidence in. That's about all I could do at the Army base was climb a ladder. That's about it on that base. And yet my brother-in-law had all these credentials. He had this stack of things to put confidence in, this stack of credentials. But he's actually really humble about it uh, when he could be so confident, maybe even prideful. He's actually a really humble guy. What are you confident in? What's your stack of credentials, you know, your laminated cards? What do you have that says you're certified? Or put it another way, what do you treasure? What would your stack of cards be? Well, I'm pretty good at this, this, and this. Paul's going to give us the answer today. What what to put our confidence in? What to trust? It's a great answer. Indeed, he says, 
I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing. That's our word, one of our words today. Knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Is knowing Jesus Christ your greatest confidence today? Your greatest joy today? Is following him and knowing him your greatest joy? Is that your credentials? To keep that metaphor going. Well, Philippians 3, 1-11 is a, is a passage that shows us how to know Jesus. It's an important passage. It shows us, it tells us how to know Jesus. And the Apostle Paul is going to talk today about those who place their confidence in their flesh, he says. The word he uses, flesh. But it's their accomplishments, their, their credentials. And he's going to point us, point us to where our real confidence should lie. By pointing us to three things today, three things we need to know. So hopefully you've got your outline there and your Bible open to Philippians 3 as we work through the text to see three things we need to that Paul wants us to know. To know God. To know Jesus Christ. I love this quote from J.I. Packer. It's from his modern classic, Knowing God. It's our word today, knowing. And he tells us why knowing God is important. Uh, why? Not just the what, but why it's important to know God or know Christ. He says, our aim in studying the Godhead, studying God, must be to know God himself better. Our concern must be to enlarge our acquaintance, not simply with with the doctrine uh, of God's attributes, but with the living God whose attributes they are. As he is subject of, the subject of our study and our helper in it, so he must himself be the end of it. We must seek in studying God to be led to God. That's what we're doing here on a Sunday morning. That's what Paul's doing when he says, I want you to know God, or we study things about God. We know God, we, when we know God, we study God, it's so we can get God himself. Not just the truths about God, but so we can know God himself. He is the end of what we're doing here on a Sunday morning. He's the end of what we're doing. So we seek learning in God, or about God, to find God himself, to find Christ. That's why it's exciting when we sit down and open his word to know him. So what are those three things we need to know from this passage? Here's the first one. We need to know more of the same thing. We need to know more of the same thing. What does that mean? More of the same thing. Well, that's what Paul says, actually, to us. Take a look at verse 1 in the text. He says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and it's safe for you. It's safe for you. This passage this morning is a passage about legalism. So what is legalism? It's probably a question we should answer or start thinking about if the passage really addresses it. Legalism is any attempt on our part or anybody's part to derive our worth or our acceptance with God by either our moral performance or your credentials, right? Your accomplishments. It's confidence in something other than God. Or you might put it another way. It's a, uh, it's a self-salvation project. That's a good way to think of legalism. It's a self-salvation project. But this passage we're going to see reminds us acceptance with God is, is something we can't earn. You can't earn acceptance 
with God. It's something you can't earn no matter how thick your stack is of credentials. But it's a free gift of grace, of grace and mercy. That's what we're going to see. You may be thinking, you know, as Christians, I know that. I know we're saved by grace. We're saved by faith and it's a free gift. Do we really need to keep, keep, keep hearing that, the same thing? Well, the answer from Paul is yes. Did you see what he said there? We need to know more of the same thing. Paul, in verse 1, he revisits this theme of joy there, of knowing Jesus, but then he says to you, I'm writing to you the same thing. I'm writing to you the same thing. And he says, for me to even do this is safe for you. He means it's, it's good for you. It's good that I write the same things to you. It's good that I write this. He's writing to them again about, as we're going to see, the gospel again, and knowing Jesus. It's what he's already taught him. That's what he means. He says, I was there. I taught it to you. You heard it. You trusted it. But I'm writing the same things to you again, what I already taught you when I was there with you. He taught them about knowing Jesus. He's going to repeat it again and again and again, the same thing. What Paul is saying here, he's going to address legalism today in the church, is that all of us at one time or another, and sometimes throughout a day, are tempted to believe, are tempted to believe false gospels, false salvation projects, false senses of security on a deep level that are things other than Christ and his gospel. And then hearing, so Paul is saying, to write to you the same things, to hear it over and over and over again, it's safe for you, it's good for you, Paul says. We need to know the same thing over and over again. Must be we forget sometimes, right? I do. You? Yeah, we do. And I've been here about three months now as your pastor. And I hope, I hope this is happening. I hope at some point, maybe you've thought or that you've started to say or think, he talks about Jesus a lot. I hope so. I hope that's happening. Or I hear the word gospel a lot. Why do I hear that so much? If that's happened in your mind, I, I hope that it has. It means that I hope I'm doing my role as a pastor here. I hope you're thinking that. We're starting to hear that. But I really hope, I, and I think I'm in line with Paul here, and that all of us are when we speak about Christ a lot, when we speak about the, the gospel a lot. You know, on one level, the message of the church should never change, right? The message of the church on one level should never change. Of course, methods, programs, some of you have seen a lot of programs come and go, haven't you, over the years, right? Things within the church do. The way we promote it, the way we apply it, um, that does have a, a variety to it, and it should. We live in here in a real place, in a real context. But the message, the message stays the same. Take a look at this picture. It's the engagement ring I got Robin. Actually, it's not. Not even close, but... It is a diamond. Uh, it's a diamond, right? The beautiful thing. Why do we love diamonds? And why do we place them on jewelry? And why, why are they so beautiful? The beautiful thing about a diamond is that it's multifaceted. What does that mean? It's got a lot of faces on it, doesn't it? And it's cut and it's there and you see all the different faces on it. And what you can do with a diamond is you can take it and you can turn it, can't you? And at different angles, you see its brilliance and it looks different. It shines a different way as the light uh, reflects and uh, comes through it at different angles with different faces. 
That's what Paul says when we hear the gospel. We hear it over and over again. We look at it again and again, and it's so beautiful. It's so wonderful. It's so deep that you can turn it. Each time you can see a little different facet of it. Like the face of a diamond. You see a little different angle at what Christ has done. We look at Christ from a different perspective. The gospel from a different facet. It's like a multifaceted, beautiful diamond, isn't it? Some of you that have lived the faith a long time know that. So that's why Paul says, I've got to write the same thing to you again, and it's good for you, because you'll see it in a different way this time. Or it'll impact you in a different way this time. And when you know about God more deeply, and Paul says you look at the same things again, you're going to know Him more deeply when you know about Him. So I hope that you never get tired of hearing about Jesus. I hope that you never get tired about hearing about the gospel. And I hope that I never, as your pastor, get tired of speaking about Him and about what he's done. Yes, we'll apply it different ways, and it'll impact us in different ways. But Paul says, I've got to write to you the same thing again. And it's the thing, first thing we need to know this morning. The same thing. Second thing is this, if that's the first, to hear and to know the same things, which we're going to unpack even a little more in points two and three, we need to know the second thing, Paul says, we need to know the difference between the law and the gospel. The difference between the law and the gospel second thing we need to know, and Paul begins with some really strong words. I don't know if you caught it there. Some really strong language here at chapter 3, verse 2. He said, look out for the dogs. Look out, kind of ominous. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. What in the world is he talking about? It's strange language, isn't it? But it's strong. When was the last time you call somebody a dog? Yeah, no hands. Okay, good. Not very often, right? That's not a language we use. Not a language we would use a lot and be offensive. But he writes it. So is Paul just talking about some pack of wild dogs that's roaming through Philippi? Watch out, I got bit last time I was there. No, that's not necessarily what he's saying. Paul's speaking about a, a group, actually, of someone you might call early Christians at that time. And Paul, as a Jew himself, was speaking about a group of, a small group of early Christian Jews. Acts 15 talks about them. The book of Galatians is about them. Uh, it's a term, sometimes they're called the Judaizers. Maybe you've heard that term before. In the early church, there were some Jews who became Christians and, and believed that Jesus was the Messiah now, believed that Jesus was the Messiah, but they wanted to still hold on to some of the forms of Judaism. Like, he talks about the flesh, circumcision, or some dietary laws, and the like. Things like that. But they took it pretty far. And they said that any Gentile that would become a Christian, that's everybody else in the world other than Jews, any Gentile that would become a Christian also had to become a Jew, too. They had to keep these special laws. They, 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 they addressed it in Acts 15. Take a look at the verse coming up here uh, from Acts chapter 15, verse 1. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. It was the gospel they were teaching. And Paul says right here in verse 2, look out for those. He says, look out for those. He calls them dogs even. Look out for those who want to place you back under a law. A law of circumcision or a law anything else. 
to find confidence in God or to find salvation with God. And these Judaizers, which Paul called dogs, they were trusting in, he calls it, mutilating of flesh, and Paul himself would have been circumcised, but they were trusting in that for their confidence. That was their standing in the community. That's what they needed, Jesus plus circumcision. Jesus plus something else. Jesus plus becoming also a good Jew at that time. It was a false gospel, Paul said. It's not the true gospel, he said. What they needed was the real gospel. They needed security with God. Through what? Faith alone. Faith alone. Christ alone. Nothing else to add any more to the gospel is to do what? It's to gut the gospel. To add anything else to Jesus, which is what they were doing here, you need to be circumcised too, is to gut the gospel. It's to take it and cut it at the very root with a giant axe. And Paul knows that. But that happens today too. Maybe not with something like circumcision, but that happens today too in the church when we add anything to the work of Jesus. We add anything to his work. And we'll talk a little bit about that in a minute, what the, some, of the things, some of those things might be. So when we speak of circumcision as being part of the law here, okay, and refer to those who wanted uh, Gentile Christians to become Jewish Christians in this passage, we're referring to confidence, and Paul is, in the self. So we're going to say this thing. The law in this passage at least equals a confidence in the self, as Paul saw it, that portion of the law. That's wouldn't have been the moral law, to live and to love as part of the Ten Commandments would say. But all the extra ceremonial, the dietary, circumcision, all that stuff, Paul's saying, if that's your confidence, it's really confidence in yourself. Confidence before God because of some, some performance or some, some goodness or some ritual, Paul says, like circumcision. Paul's pretty uh, honest in this letter, in this section even today, as he speaks of even his own confidence that he had. If anybody had a, 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 a thick stack of laminated cards to flash, <laughs> it was the Apostle Paul. If anybody could have had confidence in his own credentials, it was Paul. He had a big fat wallet full of them. He did. The Apostle Paul. And he shows us to them here. Let's take a look at it. Look at verse 4 again. Now you're be thinking, oh, now I know where Paul's going here. Look at verse 4 through 6. He said, I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh. There it is. Law equals that confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Here's his list. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. You know those great detective stories where they come to the crime scene and it's surrounded by the yellow tape and the detective comes up and, and, and what, does he, what does he flash to get permission under the yellow tape? He get, pulls out his credentials, doesn't he? To get permission, to get access, to get into the center place. That's what Paul's doing here. He's flashing his credentials. He's saying, look, let me in here. I think I've got the, the marketplace on, on, on this thing. I've got it. Take a look. Well, Paul does that here. Let's look, at, let's look at a list of Paul's credentials. Let's see what he's got there with, um, here's a list of them, with kind of a modern-day translation to help us understand what he was placing uh, confidence in. Take a look. 
circumcised on the eighth day. It's like he said, you know, I've kept all the rituals. I, I've done everything I need to do. I've checked the boxes. I've got the gold stars. I, I'm ritual, ritually pure. Here's, and I'm an Israelite. I'm, I'm the right ethnicity. I'm the right ethnicity. These are things he's placing his confidence in. I come from good people, is what he's saying. Tribe of Benjamin. I come even not just from a good people. I come from even a good, smaller family. Uh, Benjamin and Judah stayed faithful longer, those two parts of the tribe, those two uh, families. I come from a good family, too, now. Right? Then he goes, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews, too, which means I'm even the, some of the most, one of the most traditional Jews you'll find. I'm not breaking any of those traditions. He says, I'm a Pharisee, great rule keeper. In fact, they had so many rules, they, they lost track of them all. I kept all the rules. He says, I'm zealous. It means, you know what? I'm really sincere in what I believe. So that's what matters. I'm sincere about it to the point of persecuting the church. And finally, he said, I'm blameless. Just, just try and find a fault with me. Just try as it relates to being a Jew. You know, some of these things you look at, they're okay. They're good even on their own. Sometimes a tradition is good. We're rooted in history as Christians. Family of origin, that matters, yes. Obedience, yes, it matters. But here's the point. As to your confidence before God, as to your standing before God, and add to that, how about on Judgment Day? All of this will get you nothing. Nothing, Paul says. Not a thing. What are you tempted to glory in? What on that list, maybe, for you, at times, do you think, that makes me pretty good. That makes me pretty special. Or, you know, God knows. He sees that. Your family, maybe, of origin, maybe nationality or church attendance or bank account or rule-keeping or political party or your education. It could be anything. And it is, for all of us, probably different. None of these, Paul says, for him, would gain him any eternal favor with God. He's saying, the law can't save you. You can't save yourself by being a good person, is what Paul is saying. But you know, I said, I know that. I'm a Christian. I'm not a legalist. I get that. I understand the law doesn't save us. I'm not a legalist. But all of our hearts, if we're honest, are tempted at one time or another, aren't they, to trust in something other than Christ for security. All of us in this room. Some other credential, right? Some other laminated card that we've got in our back pocket. Just in case. I've got it. It's there. All of us. Tim Keller, a guy I, I like a lot, and sometimes we'll quote, and books I've read, and his, his book called Prodigal God, it was called. Uh, it's a book on the prodigal son parable. Remember? The prodigal son goes off, he gets his inheritance, he spends it all on sex, drugs, and rock and roll. That's the easiest way to put it. That's what he does. He goes and wastes it all. But you've got this elder brother at home. The elder brother stays home. And the elder brother keeps the rules. And the elder brother tends to be a, li- a little bit more where we lean in the church at times. Yes, we go this way too. Forget it all. I'm just going to live it up to find our identity. But in the church, we tend to slide towards the elder brother a little bit. And he's got a great quote from his book that kind of gives us a little litmus test to see, are there times when I lean towards that legalism a little bit? Here's what he says. See if it doesn't describe each of us at one time or another. What happens then if you're an elder brother, or you could say at times legalist, and things go wrong in your life? What happens? That's what's the question you've got to ask. If you feel that you've been living up to your moral standards, then what will happen? You'll be furious with God. You don't deserve this. You will think after 
how hard you've worked to be a decent person. There's the elder brother. All this time I've served you. But what happens, however, if the things have gone wrong in your life when you know that you've been falling short of your standards? Then you'll be furious with yourself, filled with self-loathing and inner pain. Two extremes. Well, how about this? If evil, evil circumstances overtake you, something bad happens to you, and you're not sure whether your life has been good enough or not, you're going to swing miserably back and forth between the p- two poles of I hate thee and I hate me. See that there? Because we do struggle with that. The question to ask is how do you respond when things go wrong? We can live by the law in subtle ways and try to obey God to sway God, right? Obey God to sway us. Or to obey God to get the things of God rather than God himself. Obey him to get his stuff, like the elder brother did, rather than just get God himself. You can tell how you respond when things go wrong. For me, as a pastor, I have insecurities when people ask me questions and I don't have what? The answer. It's hard for me. I'll be honest with you, that's a place where I place some identity at times and some security. If I can get the answer, then, you know, I, you know, and, and it does translate into that. I'm good with God, too. Sometimes I have to say, I'm not sure. I'll get back to you on that one. I don't know. What's it for you? Don't place your confidence in yourself, Paul says. Rather, place your confidence in Jesus Christ. Here it is, the difference between the law and the gospel. Law is confidence in yourself or in keeping something or ritual. Gospel is confidence in Jesus Christ. Confidence in Christ. There's only one place in all the world to have confidence before God. It's in Christ. Look at verse 3. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. He goes so far as to say, do you want to know who the true people of God are? This would have been shocking to to those that would have read it. Those who glory in Christ. Do you want to know who the true people of God are? Those who place their confidence in Christ. Those who place the weight of their life on to Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying in in verse 3. He goes so far as to say, we're actually the circumcision. Not the ones that have actually been circumcised, but the ones that trust Jesus Christ. We are the circumcision, actually. It's like he says, we are the true children of Abraham. That's how they would have read it. We are the true children of Abraham. Those who make much of Christ. Those who put confidence in Christ. Not in the law. In fact, it's, another, it's a little side note, but not really. How is a person saved in the Old Testament? Think about that. How is a person saved in the Old Testament? They didn't really fully know about Christ yet, did they? They didn't know the, the extreme measures of what God would go to to save us. But they knew something of the gospel. Galatians tells us that. Take a look. Know then that it is those of what? Oh, we can do better that. Those of what? Faith. Yeah, those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. That's shocking to a first century Jew. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. Look at this. Preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham. Abraham heard the gospel. In some small kernel he did. Saying, in you, here's the gospel, shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man. It's always been faith. Faith in a gospel that wasn't quite as clear as we know 
but it's always been faith. How is Abraham saved? His faith. Galatians says. Ultimate blessing comes through faith. Our security comes through faith. In fact, it what, it's what makes Christianity different than every other religion in the world. Do you know that? How is Christianity unique? It is. It's unique. It's different than every other religion in the world. And, and here is how. Every other religion in the world says ultimate blessing comes through obedience. Every religion says that. They tell you, climb this ladder, climb this ladder, there it is, of obedience. Climb, rung after rung, and when you do, you will get God. But here's the good news. The gospel says you can't even make it the first rung. But I'm going to come down to get you. I'm going to come down to save you. Trust me. Believe it. I will do God says. That's the gospel. The gospel's confidence in Christ for your saving. True confidence comes through Christ. Paul knows that, not the law. By Christ alone and his goodness and his standing with the Father. So that's the difference in some ways between the law and gospel. Was the law good? Is the law good? Yes. The law is beautiful in some ways. It shows us the character of God. It shows us how to live once we come to God, the moral law. It shows us we need a Savior and we can't make it up that ladder very far. It's good. It is good. It shows us our sin, but it could never save. It could never save. It had a different purpose. Only Christ can. So if that's the case, we better know how. So here's the third one. If the first was uh, no more of the same things, the second was no other difference between the law and the gospel, the third is we need to know how to know Christ then. If that's the key to the whole thing, that's where Paul takes us. It's not the law, it's Christ. We need to know how to know Christ. Maybe you're here today and you're thinking, you know, I I don't know what my confidence is in, actually. I have tried a lot of different things. And I have two over the course of my life. A lot of things. I've spent time trying to get that fat wallet of credentials, as all of us have, all kinds of different things. And none of it seems to work. You might be thinking that today. I still feel empty. I still feel empty. Well, listen to Paul, because he tried it all, too. And look at what he says about it as he tells what we, us what we need to know to know how to know Christ. In fact, he mentions Christ nine times, or a pronoun that refers to him, in these verses 7 through 11. One more time, take a look. But whatever gain I had, remember that list? I counted as lost for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share His sufferings and become like Him in His death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection of the dead. Man, that passage is full of Jesus, or Him, the pronoun at least. It's full of Christ. Nine times. All of his accomplishments. All of his cards. Everything he says is, it's, it's worthless without Jesus. It's worthless. It was worthless, and it was worth it to lose, he says. If I have to let go of all of it as my standing, my righteousness, my hope, if I get Christ, it's worth it. In fact, he calls it all 
uh, rubbish, which is the only time that word's used in the whole Bible. I'll let you take your imagination and think of what it means. But it's actually, yeah, something that comes that's waste matter. Not waste matter from an animal, even. He's talking about dogs here. That's how crummy he says it is. He calls it all waste. He said it's worth it. It's worth it. And here's the credentials he needed. He didn't need to fill his, 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 his wallet and make it fat with his own goodness, but with, with Jesus' goodness. That's what he needed. We're going to do three quick terms here. Big terms, but we're going to make them simple because Paul gives them to us. First one's justification, Paul says. The first of three points on how to know Jesus. So if you're thinking today, how do I know this Christ? How do I know this one they talk about? Or if you do, what has he done? And, you, and to, to make it even deeper to yourself, here it is, justification. Do you know something? Only perfect people are going to get to heaven. Let me say that again. Only perfect people are going to get to heaven. Did you know that? That made me think, like, wait a minute. I thought you said Paul was blameless and he was the best, but he's not good enough. And I know I'm not good enough. What do I do? What do I do? It's a big word, justification, but it really means you're right with God. You're right with him. Able to stand before him confidently. So rather than working really hard to fill up your own credentials, verse 9 says this. When we trust in Jesus, when we repent, when we turn from our own list of credentials as Paul did and believe in Jesus, he gives us his righteousness. He gives us his goodness. The righteousness of God that depends on faith. That was the exact words Paul used. It's his goodness, his holiness. Another way I've heard it described is uh, it's an alien righteousness. It's not our own, right? It's alien. It's something foreign. It's not ours. It's credited to us. The big theological word is it's imputed to us. It just means it's somebody else's given to you. That's what it is. That's what we need. You know, if Jesus just died to pay for your sins, what would that make you? Morally neutral. But that's not good enough for God. Only perfect people will see God. But here's the good news of the gospel. When you trust in Jesus and have faith in him, he not only makes you morally neutral, he gives you everything in Christ's bank account. He gives you all of Christ's goodness. And he credits to you as if it was yours exactly. So when he looks at you, he sees the goodness of his son. That's how perfect people come into his presence. The faith that comes through righteousness. Or the righteousness that comes through faith. That's what Paul's saying here. That's how to be right with God. So here's what we do then. We're like, I want that. Turn and repent today. Take your list and go, you know what, God? It's not good enough. But Christ is. And believe that. And when you do, that's what you have. His goodness. Do you see the confidence that's available to you? Do you see the freedom in the gospel? Do we live for him and love him and want to obey him? You better believe it. But does it make us love but does it make him love us any more than he does right now? No. He'll never love you more in eternity than he does right now. That's the good news. That's the freedom you can walk with. The confidence you can walk with. And God looks at us through the righteousness of Christ. Justification. What's the second thing Paul says here? He takes us through it. For those of you who have been trusting Christ, we do want to grow. We do want to live for this God when we see what he's done for us. It's another big word we talked about. Sanctification. Sanctification. 
You never move past needing his righteousness, but you also want to know Jesus to grow to be like Jesus once you come to him and trust him. Sanctification. You want to grow to be like him and to know him through your growth. You might be saying, yeah, I, I want to know Jesus. And, but Paul didn't say, I just know Jesus and then I, I'm done. He says, you know, oh, I've got his credentials, now I can just kind of sit back. No, verse, tells, verse 10 tells us that. In a summary, he basically says in that verse, when you, want, when you know him, you want to look like him even more. You want to be like him. You want to become like him. When you trust Christ, that verse is saying, 10, the same power that raised him from the dead is in you to make you more like him as you suffer. That's hard. So count the cost. Committing to Christ, as many in this room will tell you, doesn't mean that life gets instantly easier. In fact, it's actually probably the other way. That it sometimes feels more difficult. Sometimes feels harder. But one of the primary ways that he changes us to make us look like him is through suffering. We always don't like to hear that. But to be a disciple means you're going to look like the one you follow. There's no other way. And he was a man of sorrow. He was a man of suffering, but obedient to the point of death on a cross. And if you want to know Christ, you know then that suffering will come or has come for you. But you also know it as Paul said, I'll give it all up. It'll all be worth it. The surpassing worth of knowing him and knowing that when I go through it, he makes me more like him because I'm going the way that he went before me, the way that he followed, the way of the cross, the way of suffering. And you say, thank you, God, that I too have been kind of worthy to follow in the path that the Son went in. And you go along knowing that someday it will all be worth it as we carry our cross. Because when we do that, we move on in sanctification and we grow, when we live that life day after day, we know what comes at the end. We know what's coming. And it's what Paul closes the passage with. It's our final word, glorification. So justification, sanctification, so what keeps us going on to think about glorification. Paul says there, he says that we will attain the resurrection from the dead. He's talking about eternal life there. When everything is finally put in its proper place and everything's restored to the way it was really meant to be in the garden and God restores everything back to its perfect place, we will be there too. And you will be perfect too. And then we will really shine like those stars that he mentioned a couple weeks back. Glorification. If we just ended there, it'd be, it wouldn't be the best news. But Paul says, I will, we will attain the resurrection from the dead. A couple years back, I was on a mission trip to Haiti, and I was struck by two images. Two images held side by side, juxtaposed, held side by side. Two images. One was the absolute poverty I saw. The rundown nature of the cities and the housing and the immense suffering that I saw with that. But the joy I saw on the Haitian Christians' faces, I couldn't believe it. There's one image, the poverty and the suffering. 
But I also was struck when we drove out of these cities that were dilapidated and run down and, and filthy, really, out to the ocean. Out to the ocean. These two different pictures were in my mind. And then we got one coming up there. I drove out to the ocean. And those two images were in my mind in these cities of poverty and, and sickness and death and, and sadness. But then out on this, this beautiful shore, I couldn't believe this beautiful blue ocean stretched out when what I knew it was right behind me, my back. I knew what was on the shore behind me. The two images I was just, I couldn't help, I was just struck by. That beautiful ocean. I could have dove in, it looked like I couldn't ever reach the end of it. It was beautiful. It even helped with processing some of that suffering I saw. Something similar awaits those who know he says, an ocean of glory is in front of us. It's in front of us. And it goes on forever. And your life will be perfect. And there Christ will be with you. It's, it's in front of us, though, he says. We will attain resurrection from the dead. But it's here in the now to give us the energy, the motivation, the joy to live day after day for him here with what's kind of here behind us, right? Those are the two images I have. And that's what Paul closes with. And that's what we close with. Glory awaits you. Glory awaits us. And we'll say the same thing. It was all worth it. It was all worth it. To give it up was worth it. Because that ocean of glory, that ocean of beauty, that ocean of forever awaits us. Let those two images rest in your mind today. We do. We need to know more of the same things, don't we? We do need to know the difference between the law and gospel. And I hope today you've heard and know how to know Jesus. Paul gave it to us in these passages today. Let's hold on to it in our hearts as we worship Him in a moment. Father, thanks for this morning. Thanks for these three things that you've wanted us to know from Paul's passage. Thank you that there is security, ultimately not in how we perform, but in Christ and His righteousness. Thank you, God, for giving it to us. Through faith, faith alone. The freedom that gives us through belief that we stand before you with the same righteousness that Jesus had. He kept the law. And you're giving his credit, his account, his keeping of the law to us. It's a big concept, but really make it simple to our hearts today, God. That we can stand secure with his robes of righteousness before the throne of God. And we will someday. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.